Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And where this comes in is where Moses is there at the burning bush and God is speaking to it. To him through it. And so we're going to pick the story up where we left off last week. Next week, of course, is the 4th of July. I guess we'll all have an opportunity to burn our state down. So uh, anyhow, we want to let you know we've got church here. It'll be good. So we just want to uh, see what we'll all do together here next week. So I think you'll enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would now come. And by your Holy Spirit, these words were written. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, they would go into our hearts and we would understand more about you, that we would understand your ways and how you direct us in Jesus' name. And so now, may you come and cause your word to come alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses is out on the backside of the wilderness. By this time, he's about 80 years old. 40 years, he was Pharaoh's daughter's son. And as he would go around, and one day he decided to just go out and check on his brethren, the children of Israel, because you remember he was floated in a little boat. Pharaoh's daughter saw him, said, I'll take him in as one of my own. And so we remember that as he grew up in the best of schools, best of food, 40 years into his, into his life, he decides to go out and check out his fellow brethren. Sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. And when no one was looking, Moses thought, he killed him and buried him in the sand. Well, the next day, there was a fight between two Hebrews. Moses stops by on his chariot with in saddle cassette deck and white walls and lowered and full hydraulics. He had the best. And he drives up and he says, hey, brethren, what are you fighting about each other? They go, well, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses goes, oh, no, I've been found out. So Moses goes back to his room, packs his things and hightails it out of Egypt to the backside of the wilderness to a place called Midian. There for 40 years, he was out just tending sheep. He meets a girl named Zephora, marries her, has a couple of sons. And so one day he's out tending the flock and there's a burning bush. And the bush just continues to burn. It burns and it burns and it burns, but it doesn't burn up. Moses goes, hey, that's something you don't see every day. In fact, the Bible even says, hey, that's something you don't see every day. It actually says that. He was, he was amazed that the bush continued to burn, but it didn't consume itself. So he goes, hey, I think I'm going to check that out. So he goes over, he gets closer, closer, closer to the bush, and all of a sudden the bush talks to him. Not George Bush. The bush talks to him and says, take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground. And so Moses does this, and all of a sudden, God begins to speak to him out of the bush what his great commission would be in his life. Now, we talked about this last week. First of all, when you are saved by the Spirit of God, he saves you for a reason. For a reason. We're not saved to set. We're saved to be mobile. 
We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice. Now again, that's why we need to know what God's word says, so when we speak, we'll be speaking what God says. But here's the point. We're saved for a reason. Moses was called out by God for a reason. And there on the backside of the wilderness, where no one was else around, God unfolds to Moses the great plan that he was going to use him to set the children of Israel free from the slavery of Egypt. And God begins to unfold the plan. Now, as we continue here in Exodus 4, this is where the story continues. Now, if I was going to title this chapter, I would say it's the chapter of excuses. (laughs) Because you'll find a lot of them Moses offered. Some justified, some not justified. Some questions, good. Some questions, no. Let's look. Then... Like I always tell people, whenever you find a wherefore in the Bible or a then, you want to find out what preface that word. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose the children of Israel literally will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What are you going to do then? Now, first of all, I want to share something with all of you. You're saved for a reason. When God begins to unfold his plan, remember, the plan will always be bigger than you. Otherwise, you wouldn't need God, would you? But the plan for God for your life is bigger than you are. But that's okay because you have a miracle working God. This is what God does. And what would seem to be impossible, God makes possible. So as we look at this, the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod or literally a staff. Now, interestingly enough, in the Bible, the rods were used for different things from whacking, you know, predators away from the sheep to a symbol of authority. A king oftentimes will have a rod. As they sit on their throne, they'll have a rod. It is interesting that King David said in the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod, what would that mean? Well, God's ability to protect us, God's ability of authority, David said, and his staff comfort me. What's a staff? A staff was a thing that hooks around on the end. Sheep would start getting out of line. The the shepherd would reach around the, the, the sheep's neck and pull them back into line. David said, God's ability to hook me by the neck, pull me back in line, comforts me. God's authority, power, and to whack off my enemies and keep them away, the Bible says that gave him comfort. God said to Moses, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. First of all, I think we need to look at something here. God is preparing Moses for a great endeavor. But what God says is, what is in your hand? God uses what we have to accomplish his work. Always remember that. Remember, Jesus, it was getting late in the evening, and Jesus is teaching the multitudes, and he said, send them away, uh, uh, give them something to eat, it's late. And he said, give them something to eat. And the disciples said, we don't have anything here, we just have 
a few loaves and a few fish that a little boy and mom packed him a sack lunch. What did God do with the loaves and fishes? He multiplied them and fed the multitudes. God uses what we have. A lot of times that's an excuse that we'll say, well, God, I'll serve you when I get a new car. I'll serve you when I buy a school bus, Uh, you know, truck them all into church. You know, God, I'll I'll serve you when I get married. Oh, yes. God, I'll serve you when I get divorced. God, I'll serve. And we have all the excuses. What's in your hand right now? Do you realize what you have in your hand with God's anointing is enough? I like that. All you need is God's blessing in your life. So God tells Moses, take an inventory. What do you have? Now, I believe this is where thankfulness comes in. We oftentimes talk about it on the last week of November, Thanksgiving time. But for a Christian, Thanksgiving is every day. Here's why. Because Thanksgiving requires us to take an inventory of what we have. God, thank you for my shoes. Thank you for my sight. Thank you for this. Thank you for whatever it might be. But when we're thankful, we are continually taking an inventory of what we have, realizing God says, what do you have? That's what I will use. I like that. So we look and see, okay, God, what do I have? What can be utilized for your kingdom? What's in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran away from it. Evidently, it was real enough that it freaked him out. And he goes, whoa, I'm out of here. The Lord spoke to him again. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So he reached out and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. I look at this as restoration. It was a rod. It became a snake became a rod again. That's what restoration does. You have a nice antique car. It was once junk. It's gone through a process. It's now nice again. That's restoration. That's how God does. One of the hands of God in our lives, in his calling, is to restore. Remember that. The Bible says he'll restore the years the canker worm has eaten. You ever had a canker worm at you? You ever had the devil trying to destroy what God's put in your life? Before you were a Christian, have you, have, have you had a lot of fun with the canker worms? <laughs> That's what they do. Man, they come in and they start chomping. And the devil knows how to weaken you, destroy you. But God says he restores the years the canker worm has eaten. So the first thing we find here is restoration. And I like that about God. Because God has a way of making all things new in our life. And by the way, friends, the one thing you'll find out in your life is is you need a restorer. And we want to be restored. Again, I've, I've heard this so many times. That's what movies are all about. Everything is nice and normal. And then some meanie comes along and wrecks it all. And so then you need a Superman or a Hulk or an Arnold to come along and fix it and restore it and make it back the way it was. Well, the thing is, restoration is within the soul of man. But only God really knows how to restore us. And so it says, grab it by the hand and it became a rod in his hand that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has appeared to you. 
Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. He took it out. Behold, it was leprous like snow. The word leprous uh, has a lot of wide range meaning. Like we use the word today, cancer has a lot of wide range meaning. But he put his hand in his, in his, under his, he pulls it out and it's probably full of boils and super funk all over. And he says, put it back in. He puts it back in, pulls it out. It's perfect again. God of healing. First, God of restoration. Second, God of healing. By the way, every one of us, this we, we need to be healed. We, we do. That's why I always look forward to communion. Because many years I was raised in the church. I accept the Lord when I was very young. I was used to it. You know, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, you know, you're around saw blades all the time. You don't, oh yeah, just the saw blade. I'm used to that. Until you put your thumb, like I did this week, in a bandsaw. That hurt. Jim was down at my house when I did that. And I I said, I I think I did something really bad. And he looks at it and he goes, yeah, you did something really bad. Blood's running on my arm. But familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes, like as an example, in communion, we just go, oh, the blood of Jesus shed for us for our sins and the bread. I don't really know what the bread's for, but it's there with it. I guess it's part of the meal. But very clearly, Peter says, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus holds up the bed, breaks it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. By his stripes, Peter says, we are healed. Do you realize how badly we need to be healed? Our memories, our thoughts, our ability to love, our ability to be loved. All those things are all composite in us. And they need to be touched by the hand of God. So not only is God a God of restoration, making the the rod a serpent and then a rod again, but that he was diseased when he pulled his hand out and put it back in and it's healed. So we have a God that not only restores, but a God who heals. Friends, we need to be healed. And I'll tell you, we all have broken hearts. You know, I don't, you know, I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life. I've been busted up. I've been, I've been smashed in car wrecks and all kinds of stuff, but nothing hurts more than a broken heart. Amen. Where it feels like a million ton fist is standing on your chest. You see God in his great love heals and restores. So Put your hand in your bosom again, verse 7. So he put his hand in his bosom and drew it out, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it will be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Now you begin to find a pattern here that God begins to reveal to Moses a little about what is awaiting him in the days to come. I don't think if God would have said, hey, Moses, listen, well, I'm going to commission you for this. You're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And and here, listen to this. You're going to have the entire Egyptian army at your back, the Red Sea in front of you, mountains on either side. Moses would have said, see ya. You know what God does is he does that so we realize the only way out is up. And that's exactly what God did. Well, look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, 
Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since have you spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can't talk good. This, again, is the chapter of excuses. Because the first time he says, but what if they don't listen to me? Now he says, but but, 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 I can't talk good. Really, Moses? Is this from your perspective or from God's perspective? If you have your Bible, and I'm just going to, you don't have to turn over, but I'll tell you. If you go to Acts chapter 7, this is where Stephen is telling the Sanhedrin that's about to stone him to death, gives him a Bible lesson. This is found in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. I'll just read this. He is describing Moses to them. He says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. Wow. So Moses saw himself much differently than others saw him. Oh man, friends, think about that for a minute. God saw Moses differently than Moses saw himself. Now, here's a question for you. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself through the eyes of God, or do you see yourself through the eyes of looking in a mirror? Because I can guarantee you, God looks at you much differently than you look at yourself. Remember in the Bible, you have a guy named Gideon. And Gideon was in a hole hiding from the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were ravaging bands of of, of people. And what they would do is they'd wait till harvest when all the grain was brought in. And then they would come in like an army, steal all their grain and head back off into the wilderness. So Gideon is in a wine press. The Bible, a wine press was a hole in the ground. And he was down there throwing the wheat up in the air. Big hoop with leather stretched across it. And the idea is as you'd throw the grain up, the, the chaff would be blown away and the heavier grain would come back down. And you'd do this many, many times until finally the chaff would be gone and you'd have pure grain. You could make your bread. And the Bible says he was in a wine press. Now that means there wasn't a lot of wind. I could just see all the, stat, the chaff sticking to him. And in the fall of the year, it's hot. And he's throwing the grain up in the air. All the chaff is in the air, sticking to him. He's breathing. It's in his eyes. And an angel appears to him and says, Oh, thou mighty man of valor. Huh, really? Who are you talking to here? God see, saw Gideon differently than he saw himself. In fact, when God began to unveil his plan for him, he said, I am the least of my father's household. We see ourselves differently than God sees us. And so one of the things when we read God's word, it endeavors to do is give us God's perspective of who we are, not what we think of ourselves, or here's what's even worse, what your spouse thinks of you, your friends think of you, uh, what society thinks of you, your school thinks of you, your fellow workers think of you. It's how God sees you. God sees you as a winner. Now, this isn't motivational speaking, friends. This is God's word. God sees you as a winner. Do you see yourself that way today? Do you see yourself as somebody that says, with my blessing in your life, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Understand how God works in us. Moses said, I can't can't talk good. 
Really, Moses, 40 years ago, you were considered mighty in all that you could do. Now, 80, 40 years later, now you're eight. By the way, he's 80 years old when all this is being read. Now, here's another excuse. Well, God, you know, I'm getting old. Just give me a big cushy chair, bag of Doritos. I'm good. God says, you're just getting started. You know, I've always heard, there's an old saying, about the time a minister retires is when I want to hear what they've got to say. Because a lot of the idealism is gone. The reality of what is really going on is, is, is there in the Bible for us. And so he says, <clears throat> I'm a person slow of speech, slow of tongue. Well, you weren't 40 years ago, Moses. You weren't then. So God then begins to show Moses who he is. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? By the way, when you look at the Bible, you look at, well, Moses, how could Moses not believe God? How, how could he not believe God? I mean, the burning bush, all these things going on. How could he not believe God? And then I think God put a verse in here for you and me the same way. A lot of people try to fault God because of this verse here in Exodus chapter 4. Let's read it again. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who has made the mute? Or the deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have I not the Lord? What kind of a God would make a baby blind? What kind of a God would make a baby deaf? Or cystic fibrosis? Or or cancer, or something else. See, I can look and say, oh, you know, what, what's wrong with you, Moses? Why didn't you just understand God? So God put this verse, I think, in here for all the readers to say, you got to get around this. Now, what does that mean? Well, all I can tell you is this. If you can, if you can recognize God's hand in this, you'll have no trouble with the rest of the Bible. Because people say, well, how could a God of love do these things? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that in God's divine hand, in God's divine will, he allows things to happen for not only that individual, but for others as well. Sometimes I wonder in my own life, people that have been mean to me, people that have been mean to you, that God didn't allow those things to happen to you only so that down the road someday in eternity, God may judge them for the very things they did to you. When they say, well, look, I'm not such a bad person. God says, play the tape. And we're all conspiring against you and they're all doing these kinds of things. God says, oh, you're not so bad. I'm not so sure that God doesn't do those things. Though it was so hurtful at the time, God may use that down the road. I'm not sure. But I know that God is God, and I know God will do that. The Bible says, I am the Lord, I make rich, I make poor. Wow, I thought it was my faith words. No, sorry, not. God says he does that. Why? I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. It doesn't matter. I I, I really like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they stood before 
Nebuchadnezzar, when they wouldn't bow down and worship the fire, the, 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 the statue that he made, and he said, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace, heated up seven times hotter than it's ever been. Are you going to worship the statue or not? And, and will your God deliver you from the fiery furnace? And I like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, whether God delivers us from your fiery furnace or not, we're not going to worship your statue. I like that. It don't matter if God does or doesn't. We're not worshiping your dumb statue. Friends, that's boldness. That's what God honors. And he put him in the fiery furnace. And they were walking around in there with Jesus, the Bible tells us. He says, I thought I put three in there, Nebuchadnezzar said. But no, there's a fourth like unto the Son of God. Wow, how is that? You see, again, you don't need a miracle till you need a miracle. I don't need to understand everything until I need to understand it. I don't know how the Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. I don't understand how the Lord makes deaf and the Lord makes hearing. I don't understand all those things. But I know this, if I can reconcile that God is God in this verse, everything else in the Bible is easy. That's why I think it's such an important verse. So he says... Now, therefore, verse 12, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Now, I like that. He said, go. But that's part of what we do. Verse 13 is sad, and this is a good thing to learn. But he said, whenever you say but to God, you're in trouble. But he said, oh, Lord, please send by your hand whomever else you may send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron Levite, your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, when you shall speak to him, you shall put the words in his mouth. In other words, he's a good talker, but he's a hollow shoe. Moses, you're going to be the one. He's going to be your servant. Moses, you're my servant. Aaron's going to be your servant. If you don't feel you can speak well enough to do this, then I'll give you Aaron to help you. Aaron turns out to be quite a thorn in Moses' side. He's the one that led the idolatry, calf worship. He also led an insurrection with, with Miriam against Moses. When God tells you to do something... You're all you need. He's all you need. He says, coming out, this was speaking prophetically, because we'll get in that as we read on here. And you shall speak to him the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. By the way, I will teach you. I'll teach you. Teach you. Hmm. That means I have to learn. That means I have to listen. And if I have to listen, what am I listening? Who am I listening to? (laughs) These are important things. Everybody is learning from someone. Who are you learning from? Are you learning from television? Are you learning from the songs in secular music on the radio? Are you learning from wicked friends? What are you, and who are you learning from? We all are learning. That's why the Bible says, thy word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. He says, I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman 
For the people, he himself shall be as much as a mouth for you, and you shall be uh, to him as God. So, in other words, you're going to tell him what to say, and he's going to view you as God, because you're speaking through him. And so, you shall take this rod in your sight, in your hand, and which you shall do these signs. So Moses went, walked away from the burning bush. That'd be a big thing there. He went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, when please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Interesting. Do you notice something here? He's really going to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, but he tells Jethro, his father-in-law, I just want to go check on my family. Now, I don't think necessarily, friends, that's lying. It's just not telling everybody everything. But a lot of times, I don't believe we have to tell everybody what we're about. Remember, sometimes we have to be about our daddy's business, and until we are actually engaged in that, it's really nobody else's business. So, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt for all the men who are dead who sought your life. Moses then took his wife, his sons, set them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let my people go. Oh, here's another one of those verses. I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. Wow. Now think about that for a minute. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then punishes him for it. That's a God of love, ain't it? Or is there something here we're not seeing? Remember, the more miracles that Jesus did, the harder the Pharisees' hearts got. So because God is all power and does the miracle, did God harden the Pharisees' heart when they saw Jesus do the miracles? Well, yeah, because God was the source of the miracle. It was how the Pharisees reacted to that miracle. It was how Pharaoh reacted to the supreme, awesome power of God. And the more miracles that God did at the hand of Moses, the harder Pharaoh's heart got. Because you see, in the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was God. That's why they deified their leaders. That's why the pyramids, that's why all that stuff went on. That's why they would mummify him so they could come back eventually. Well, here you find the same problem. He said that they will, um, they will reject, Pharaoh will reject Moses what you have to say. Again, God just knew it. But again, it isn't that God hardened his heart like, I'm going to make you resistant to me. It's that I'm the source. And because he doesn't like the source, he rebels against that power of God. And so he says, I'll harden his heart again through the miracles that were done, the 10 plagues, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. 
my firstborn, so shall you say to him, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son and your firstborn, speaking of the last and ten, uh, the plague. And it came to, by the way, this next couple of verses here is amazing. A marital spat recorded in the Bible. Now, we always want people not to know that we fight with our spouses, don't we? Close the windows and doors and we'll duke it out kind of thing. We don't want anybody to know we have problems. Nobody wants to do that. Well, here's a marital fight in the Bible for us all to read about. Notice what it says. It came to pass on the way, back to Egypt, at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Wow, that's kind of weird. He sends him to Pharaoh, and then on his way going to Pharaoh, he was obedient. He was on his way to Pharaoh. God sought to kill him. Why? The next couple of verses tell us. Then Zephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. I like the old King James better. It says, You are a bloody husband to me. Wow. Now that would have been one weird fight. She circumcises her son and then throws the foreskin at Moses. Try to get that out of your mind. Okay. So he said, so he let him go. And she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now you say, why? What is this about? Important lesson to learn. God is sending Moses to Pharaoh to let the people go. And then God sought to kill him because he hadn't circumcised his son. Why didn't he circumcise his son? Well, it tells us here. Zephora was not an Israelite. This some weird pagan practice, Moses, that you want to do, you're not doing it to my kid. So he's on his way to stand up to Pharaoh, king of the world at the time. But he was cowardly when it came to standing up to his own wife concerning the custom of Israel. And says, surely you're a bloody husband to me. Because he didn't want to do, he, you know, I'll stand up to the king of the world, but don't ask me to stand up to my wife. Oh, no, you don't, want to, you don't know what that's like. Well, so it says, um, notice, cast it at Moses' feet. That had to be weird. But you see, you got to do what God wants you to do. And it goes in steps. I can't expect God to use me somewhere greater if I failed the first couple of tests. I think God was probably convicting Moses all along. He knew what the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. Yet he wouldn't do it with his own son. But he was going to go stand up against Pharaoh. So God says, get the first things right at first. Then we'll go on. And so the Lord said to Aaron... 
go to the wilderness to meet Moses. Now, again, God spoke to him earlier that this was kind of a vision what was going to happen. God spoke to him, go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words which the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of Israel and the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And so the people believed. And when they had heard the words of the Lord, he had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped. God says, I heard your cry about the slavery. I've sent you a deliverer. Now, remember, God had sent Moses to them 40 years before when he killed the Egyptian And they, rather than saying, oh, look, we finally have somebody that's on our side in the government. Instead, the Bible says that Pharaoh found out about it. The only way Pharaoh could have found out about it was from the Hebrew children narking Moses off. Forty more years of slavery then. In fact, that's what Stephen was saying in in the book of Acts chapter 7, is he says, why is it with the people of Israel? Does God got to show you everything twice before you finally believe? Well, unfortunately, that's the hardness of people's hearts. We miss it sometimes. So what do we see here? First of all, Moses offers excuses. I, 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 I can't talk good. He says, okay, I'm bummed out about this. Take Aaron, your brother, and he'll be your spokesman for you. No matter what he offered as an excuse, God covered that excuse. God says, why didn't you just believe me, Moses? I made your mouth. I'll tell you how to say. You know, sometimes God uses our infirmity as an advancement when it comes to the kingdom of God. It may be a different thing. It might be that you were a geek when you were a kid and people made fun of you. Oh, he's just in his room playing with wires. You never know. God may use that down the road for an individual to get into radios like God did with me and build radio stations. It may very well be that a person that is can't speak well, sometimes when they do speak, you go, what, is, what are they saying? How is it? What? And you'll find in, in God's word, work, the way he does things, he uses sometimes our infirmity to advance the kingdom of heaven. Now we can make an excuse for it. Moses certainly did. But God covered those things and said, look, Moses, I have selected you for my job. God has selected every one of you for his job. Now, this is what's important. Lord, what will you have me to do? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, what do you want me to do for you in your kingdom? Do you realize God's got something really special for every one of us? And we can't ever say, well, you know, I did that great thing for you, God. Guess I'm done. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. It it, it seems that God's History in our life prepares us yet for what God's going to use us for in the future. I I know some of those lessons have been very brutal for many of us. But that doesn't mean God's done. That just means God's preparing you 
for what's ahead. I remember somebody said to me one time, they said, well, if what God has had me go through has prepared me for what's coming, I'm scared to death what's coming. No, that's not the way we look at it. We look at it that those lessons are to keep us from getting tripped up. I remember one time I went through something in a church and it was very heartbreaking. I almost didn't want to go to church anymore, only to find out that lesson that I learned was so valuable in the years to come that had I not learned that, I would have been wiped out in a much bigger way. God has a way of doing things. Don't limit God. If you're a Christian here today, you're his child. You say, but Mike, why does God work so slow concerning what he wants me to do? Because remember this, preparation is part of it. Why does it take so long for a foundation of a house? You go by, yeah, they're building a new house. And you drive by, and and, and it don't look any different today than it did yesterday. Oh, you might see a backhoe out there doing one of these things, putting a pipe in or something. You, You say, but nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. The next day you go by, still, nothing's going on. Oh, you see some guy out there putting some wood forms up or whatever. Still, you don't see any building. Next day you drive by, maybe there's a cement truck out there and they're out there squeegeeing it off. Still, you drive by the next day, there's nothing out there. Next day you go out there and there's some guy out there with a white truck with a blue county badge on it with his pencil and paper signing things off. I don't see anything going on here. It's the way we feel about our lives. Seems like a lot of stuff. That's all preparation for what's going to happen in the days to come. And then one day you drive by and here's all the studded walls sticking up. And you drive by a couple days later and now the roof trusses are on. And then you drive by another day and the siding's on and the roofing goes on. And the next day goes on and pretty soon you start seeing the driveway and you start seeing all these things. And you go, wow! I didn't realize it. it just seemed like it just popped up overnight. No, it didn't. There was a foundation that was required. The foundation is what every one of us, God is doing in our life right now. And whatever it is that God has accomplished in your life, remember this, he does add-ons. <laughs> Have you ever needed the add-on to your house? You, you, you build it and then all of a sudden you realize, you know what? We can turn the garage into another room. And then you do that, and then you realize you don't have a garage anymore. Okay, I guess we better build a garage. And so pretty soon you start. Yeah, and, and the thing is, God does that. He adds on to what he's already accomplished in your life. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But we want to do it and not complain and not offer excuses. Why? God says, what's in your hand? What do you have right now? That's what God will use to further his kingdom. And what you don't have, he'll put in your life. That's the good news. If you're not a Christian here today, a couple of things. Number one, you have no one that genuinely puts in your life for your good. Even sometimes the good things that you've experienced can even hurt you more. I think of the people that go down and they gamble. And they pull the thing or push the button and the wheels turn. And bing, 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 you just won. And all the, go ding, 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 ding. And pretty soon they come up to you, hey, you just won the grand prize. And you go, wow, that's really cool. And so they give you this stuff. And then next week, you're going to go back, Jack, and do it again. And you lose it all. You see, the problem is, if you don't have 
one putting into your life that's going to further your life, the things that are put in your life will be misused and you'll go the wrong way. See, that's why you need God. Because you've got a loving God, a Father in heaven. Not religion, friends, but a relationship with a daddy who loves you. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. That's the relationship. And by the way, I've shared this with you a million times. Cults never offer that. Oh, they'll say Father, but then you've got to do all their rituals to become his child. Where today you can say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry I've lived my life the way I've lived it. I want to be your child from this day forward. And God says, done deal, adopted. I like that. Cults don't offer that. You got to earn it. Doing religious stuff. Selling flowers in airports, wearing blue, you know, eat organically grown foods, all those kinds of things. God just says, I love you, period. You see, that's what unconditional love is. That's what cults don't offer. It's always conditional. It's conditional if you keep our mantras, if you join our church, if you go door to door, if you give all your money, if you have nine kids, if you do, if, 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 whoa. All of a sudden, it's not unconditional anymore. Now it is completely conditional. And you never, because it's conditional, you never know if you made it. So you'll ask him, if you died today, would you go to heaven? They go, well, I've done the best I can. Right there, it tells you it's the wrong answer. Because if you're going to heaven based upon your conditions, that you think you did it all right, when you get there and you're wrong, it's too late to do anything about it. That's why the Bible says God gives us the assurance of salvation. Somebody says, well, if you died today, would you go to heaven? I can say yes. Well, how do you know? Because Jesus paid it all for me. I'm clothed. You're clothed in his righteousness. It isn't by my works, your works, that we go to heaven. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Always remember that. Now, friends, we as Christians enjoy that. But do you realize the people of the world and even people that go to church every Sunday, many of them don't know that? Because they're not taught that. Remember, as it says here, God says to Moses, I will teach you what you shall do. We need to be taught. We're taught from God's word. That's why Jesus said, we, are, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not my favorite topics, not your favorite topics, every word. Because it's going to minister to different aspects of, of, of our lives. And you need the whole counsel of God's word. If you don't get that, you can get it off. You know, I have found that if people will simply just read the entirety of Scripture, it will correct most of the bad doctrine that's out there. It just will. Because, because the Bible is complete. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, who takes care of you? Because you need to be cared for. Jesus said we're the sheep of his, of his, of his, shepherd, sheep of his fold. We, we, we need to be taken care of. And if, you're, if Jesus ain't taking care of you, who is? God wants you to be restored, blessed, healed. And so this morning... If you've never received Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life this morning. If you're a Christian and you have drifted away because perhaps, as we read here, some bad things happened and you couldn't reconcile it in your heart and so you got mad at God, I want you 
to just lay that aside. Let God be God and say, okay, God, let's go from where we are right now. And you'll find God will make it all work. He just does. The Bible says he is the healer. Remember, he's the restorer and he's the healer. The two signs that he was to show to the children of Israel that God is God. He restores and he heals. If you need to be restored and healed today, let's pray. And let's let God take over. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. And I repent of that. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And he rose from the dead to give me life each and every day. I commit my life now into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. To love you and to love the lost and to reach out to them. And thank you for eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen.